Savior, Shepherd, Messiah, we know you by many names, Lord. Your presence fills our lives. All that we are and all that we have comes from you. All that you do declares your love for us. Yet when trouble comes, when adversity plagues us, we wonder where you are. We even wonder who you are. How quickly we forget that you are always with us. Dispel our gloom and despair. Change our garments of darkness into robes of dazzling light. Spread your table before us and feed us from your hand. Lead us in the paths of righteousness. Let us recognize you here in the beauty of this morning and in its challenge. Lead us, O oh God, to act for your justice and peace and mercy, so that all may drink from your springs of the waters of life and find their tears of sorrow and pain wiped away. And now in the name of the risen one, we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The witness of scripture comes from the first testament, Nehemiah chapter nine, verse six. And Ezra said, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. To all of them, you give life and the host of heaven worships you. And the, wor the word from God continues with the book of Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through 17. After this, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Down to the river to pray, studying about that. 
It is a privilege to be with you today, and I so appreciate the invitation. Thank you. And I'm glad to share in the worship with the leaders of the music department, the other pastors. Being a pastor in a pastor's family, I'm appreciative of this congregation for welcoming my family about eight years ago. I called one day from Arkansas where I was completing some work and I found from my wife, Sybil, that she had found the church, she had joined the church, and they were moving on with their life in the church. And I said, which church is it? And she said, First Christian in Norman. You have been a welcoming community to our family and thank you so much for all you have done to make us feel welcomed in this community. We appreciate it very much. It was just July, a clear summer day the heat was not too bad. We gathered in the cemetery to say thank you to God for loved ones. We had had to wait. You've had to wait. A mother, a brother-in-law. Death came to visit one in the 97th year and in the other one was in the 75th year. But we had to wait because it wasn't safe together. When we did, we rested there under the tent, a small group of people giving thanks to God and hearing the words of assurance that can come in the midst of mourning. There is space for words of assurance. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. Putting these words alongside the reality of still being fearful of gathering together, and even this morning knowing that after the months of having the COVID epidemic, we still are concerned, we're still on age, we still wonder, how long will it last? Why don't people get vaccinated? We wonder at a deeper level, too, about those we love and even ourselves. What happens when the ventilator is turned off? What happens when the accident has claimed one we love? What happens when age has taken its toll and gotten its final payment? When we place the ones we love and the idea of what happens next side by side to COVID, we realize we are dealing with matters in a prevailing shadow of death and affirming life. When the accident has come, when the virus has struck, we wonder about the next life. We believe that we will have one, but what will it be like? Is heaven something we can identify? Is it something out there or up there or is it something right around us close by when the apostle paul was writing to the church in corinth he speaks not in great detail but simply says there is a mystery which no eye has seen nor ear heard that god has prepared for those who love god imagine with morgan roberts overhearing a conversation at lunch where people are talking about their week in business. 
First, they talk about the problems that they're faced with, the challenges they're trying to address, and they move from that to the week's schedule, what they have to get done this week, and then beyond that to maybe weekend plans that they hope to enjoy. And then they move to the vacation that's awaiting them, and there's a lightness in the conversation. And finally, there's a turn before the conversation draws to a conclusion and the lunch is over to retirement plans. In each of these moves in the conversation, there has been the hope that there is something more, something to anticipate. So we ask ourselves, what's the future we envision? Life of ease, retirement with plenty, a mountain cabin, a beachfront home, a hunting lease, unlimited travel, health that endures, what is that something more? Matthew in the 10th chapter says that the reign of heaven is near. How do we experience it? Well, views of heaven vary, we know that. Some think of extravagance, opulence, golden streets, great gates, pearls, diamonds, jewels. Some of us might think of it as a time in which all is finally reconciled. Heaven and earth are brought together in a kind of cosmic unity. And others see it as the fulfillment of love, finally enacted in a way that it is fully developed, it's amplified, it's obvious throughout the world. But the fact of heaven is we don't know. Our desire to know, however, fuels our imagination. If someone has been a master gardener, we imagine that that person might enjoy gardening in heaven, taking care of the roses. Whatever it is that is most enjoyed, we project, might be part of the heavenly experience. It may be a perpetual round of scratch golf, Hugh Wilson, <laughs> or the perfect Sooner football season this year. No roll tide. Heaven may be an all-inclusive resort where we never have to cook, never have to carpool, never have to go to another Zoom meeting. It's the fulfillment of our dreams. All of these things, though, we picture as a kind of extension of what we know already. But we wonder with others, do we see Jesus in our heaven? Well, he may be kind of a celestial bellhop for some, ministering to every need we have, we may project on our departed ones these activities that they have enjoyed so much in life. But Paul's puzzlement draws us to attention when he says, we only see dimly in this glass, but then we shall see face to face. We simply do not know. And the seer in Revelation speaks of the great banquet when all will feast in glory and there will be around the throne an unending crescendo of praise. Every tear will dry and there will be no more death, but only endless song. The seer imagining Jesus does not see a Mediterranean cruise liner captain in white dress. The seer sees Jesus wrapped in the robes that may have been in his ministry still soiled, hands not bandaged. 
and those who are with him, they too have seen privation. They've seen persecution. They've seen terror. They will be dressed to show that they too have joined in the struggle of following this one who has given all for liberation of the earth. The joy of heaven is not a Las Vegas junket. The joy of heaven is the final victory of love and justice over the power of darkness and death. It is the resurrection hope of the Christians. Do we see Jesus as a gentle friend? If we do, that's wonderful. Do we see Jesus as we pictured him on that Sunday school wall years ago, Warner Salmon's head of Christ? Such a kind person. Or do we see him more like he has been described by one of Diana Butler Bass's friends, a radical, nonviolent revolutionary, the one who hung around with lepers and crooks and hookers. He wasn't American. He doesn't speak English. He was never anti-gay. He was anti-death penalty, anti-public prayer, anti-wealth. He never mentioned abortion or birth control. He never called the poor lazy. He never asked a leper for a copay. He never asked for tax cuts for the wealthiest Nazarenes. He was a long-haired, brown-skinned, homeless, community-organizing, anti-shaming, Middle Eastern Jew. Scripture says, Jesus is in our heaven. Who else will be there? We might imagine that death will be that avenue in which we find those who have gone before us, those we have loved, because we have followed the one who ushers us into the Creator's presence. Paul says, the perishable must put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. Not a soul flying off somewhere, but the resurrection to new life. But do we picture heaven as including those who have given us a hard time? Those with whom we've had difficulty in this life? It's hard to imagine that the only folk who will be in heaven are those who look pretty much like our family and act like them. Can we instead imagine a great extended family and populating heaven will be loved ones to be sure, but also those who have been adversaries on earth? But the animosity, the resentment, the jealousies will all have disappeared. Roland Perdue was one time the pastor of University Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, now many years retired. But he told of a parishioner who was a particularly difficult person to deal with during his pastorate. It seemed there was always, there was always something that disturbed her. It was probably the hymns in the first place. And when she complained about something, it was very distinctive who was talking. She would come to Roland's office and say, Roland, why do we sing those hymns that no one knows? We want to sing the hymns that everyone knows. It doesn't matter if they go with your sermon. Then there were the homeless folk who gathered around that downtown Austin campus. Roland, what are you going to do about these homeless people? We can't even get into the church. They're always on our steps. 
Time came that this woman died. And months passed. And Roland had a dream he talks about. He said, I had a dream one night. I had died and I'd gone to heaven. And I was told that I would have an interview with God, the Almighty. And I had to wait for a while, but then I was ushered into the presence of the Almighty who greeted me and said, Roland, what are you doing here? Some of us delight when we think of heaven as being only the enclave of those who have been special to us and whom we have loved. But it may just be that we are surprised. Could there be undocumented workers? Could there be homeless folk? Remember how cold it was in this last late winter? Zero temperatures, wind chill below 10 some days unusually cold. She was sitting in a booth at Brahms. She'd come in from the cold, it was obvious from all the mixed clothing she had on. She scooted over to the side of the booth even though there was no one in the booth with her, like she was trying to get away from someone or something. And she was talking, talking kind of indistinctly, but to no one in particular, maybe to herself, her toboggan hat pulled down close over her eyes. And then she just got up suddenly and cinched her coat around her and headed out into the wind on the parking lot. You've been there. You've seen something like that. And you wonder, is there something that should be done? Should I do it? Can I do something? Will I do something? I noticed as she went around the corner that she was met by another fellow, a person, a young man, who began walking east on Robinson with her. And something said, go see. So I went out and greeted them and I asked, where are you going? And she said, food and shelter. Well, it's too cold to be out walking in this temperature May I give you a ride? And rightly, they looked at me cautiously. What's this guy want? What's he asking us about? But they said yes. And they walked back to the car with me. And on the way back, I noticed she paused for a moment and reached down to her waist with a little pouch there and unzipped it and opened the top and looked and inside there were three crumpled dollar bills. And she said, take these. Then she said, God sometimes opens doors. And when we have received a blessing, we are to bless others. And of course the blessing was mine. To see such generosity, such trust in the providence of God's goodness and I was grateful for that experience and grateful for food and shelter and grateful to you that there is that kind of hope for so many. Who's in your heaven? Some are prisoners, some are addicts, some are homeless. But could it be that there are also those who are well off who maybe have not thought of this one who is so generous? someone like her. 
You know, in the New Testament, we find people who are generous. In the First Testament, there's this wonderful story about Esther. She was living in the lap of luxury, but she was called to act to help out others. This woman at Brahms' name was Esther. And I thought of the other one and how different they were, but how much alike they were for such a time as this to show what trust in God is like. We look forward to the great homecoming. Who's in your heaven? Maybe those who have never struggled, but somehow in life get this glimpse of Esther's vision. Is there room for bullies? Is there room for an abusive spouse? Is there room for a self-righteous politician? Is there room for even Republicans and Democrats to share the same space? Can you see, can you imagine Kevin McCarthy passing the bread to Nancy Pelosi and saying, here Nancy, have a bun. We can be surprised. Kathleen Norris talks about a Benedictine woman trying to help her mother move toward death. And she's there at the hospital holding her mother's hand. She says to her mother, remember mother, that in heaven everyone you love will be there. And her mother says, no, in heaven everyone who is there I will love. Heaven is not so much a place, perhaps, as a transformation to see with the eyes of God. Norris also talks about being at the airport when she sees a young couple come in with their young baby. They're sitting there waiting for the plane to depart at the departure gate, and the baby is looking around. Whenever someone comes up, some adult, and engages with that baby, the baby sees the face. It doesn't matter if it's old or young, pretty or ugly, disappointed, worried, or happy. If there is that engagement, this baby is delighted. And Nora says, I think that's the way God looks at us. Looks at us in the face and says, it's a delight to see what I've been able to do. If Jesus is in our heaven, if our enemies are there, who else might be there? Well, we might be there. We hope that we will be. We're assured that we may be. Exclusiveness is never God's problem, it's ours. We who know our sin, our neediness, our faults, would dare not approach God unless we knew there was to be for us a warm welcome and a homecoming. And we will be there with those we have loved and others whom we will now love because God has worked the transforming grace in our lives so that we love all people as God loves. This is the one who gives us hope through Christ's resurrection from the grave. On a July morning with a clear sky gathered under a tent, we heard the words be assured, in life and in death, we belong to God.
Maybe it happens when we realize that one who's had difficulties with us and us with them is just a fellow struggler on the way. Maybe it happens when a baby is so delighted with every face that comes by that we realize God's like that, delighted in God's good creation. Maybe it happens when Brahms Esther opens her little purse with her three crumpled dollars and says, take it. Open our eyes that we may see. Here, now.